All right, so welcome everybody. Uh, I am James Orr, and today I am joined by Landon Stone, who I've not talked to before, but I'm super excited to learn about uh, how he's working with real estate investors and what he's got going on. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Landon. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, James. Hey, you're very welcome. So tell me a little bit about like, uh, you know, where, you, where you're from and what you're doing with real estate investors. Yeah, so where I'm from is actually, I grew up in West Texas. I currently live in the Piedmont Triad area of North Carolina, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point area. And what we do to help real estate investors specifically is I'm an investor myself and we uh, we help people find deals, but we also help them with the renovations, the selling it if you're fixing and flipping, or the the long-term management if you're more of a buy and hold investor. Okay. And so are you a real estate broker then? Yep. Real estate broker, licensed general contractor. And we also have a separate property management company that fits in well. Okay. So you're doing like multiple parts of the business and trying to serve those guys. So in, in a lot of ways, by having these multiple kind of like separate businesses, your lead generation costs get cut because once you find someone who you can help acquire a property, then you could also possibly help them with the GC stuff and kind of do the fix up. And then also after they get the property rehabbed and ready to go, you can help them with property management as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it fits in really well where it came from, from like the service standpoint is when I got into real estate, I wanted to work with investors. Um, That was really the, the core of who I wanted to work with. And as we started, I started noticing these little pieces that sometimes made it hard to, to find the right deal or to make the right deal right. Things like contractors, you know, a flip is all based on whether or not that renovation stays within budget. Same thing goes if your goals are to buy and hold. And there was just a big disconnect. So it really started from this idea of, how can we continue our service beyond just a transaction, but actually be partners with the investor in ensuring that they get the deal that they actually want? And then from the business standpoint, yeah, we only have one point of the cost of acquisition and then we just keep them. Okay, yeah, there's quite a few things I have questions about then. So um, I guess the first thing I have questions about is from a kind of like customer acquisition point, do you find it easier, better, less expensive to focus in on acquiring clients for the brokerage side, for the GC side, or for the property management side? So the way that we work is we're focused first on trying to find the investor So all of our lead generation is done on the brokerage side. We have a real estate brokerage team with EXP and we're, we're focused on finding buyers and sellers just like any other person. Okay. Um, But what we find is we really like to work with these real estate investors and we do a lot of off market searching and stuff like that. So how it really comes down is we meet the person that has investment goals and then we really meet them where they're at, but we're meeting them as real estate agents first. Okay. And so are you exclusively working with investors or is it sort of like anyone looking to buy or sell property, you will help, but you kind of specialize in investors? So I specialize in investors. We have a team and a lot of our agents work with you know primary home buyers, first time home buyers. I view any real estate purchase as an investment one way or another. If you're okay. buying your first house, that, that should be your first real estate investment. Yeah. Um, but for me specifically, I work more exclusively with investors. 
um, or my investor clients. And uh, um, yeah. Can you break it down a little bit? Is it like, you know, half of your transactions are with more traditional owner occupant buyers, or is it like, you know, 90% are fix and flip and 5% are buy and hold and 5% are like the other type buyers? Like, like, how does it break down for you guys? For our team in general, I would say about 50 to 70% is going to be investor business. Okay. Of that investor business, about half of it is working with flippers and the other half is long-term buy and holds. Okay. And so how are you finding most of your fix and flip opportunities? Like what's the, what's the strategy for finding those types of deals in your marketplace? We do a lot of direct to seller lead generation. A good amount of hours is looking at for sale by owners on the market and then just circle prospecting around neighborhoods. We don't purchase a lot of leads. um, And then we work with a lot of wholesalers. So one of my really bigger fix and flip clients, almost 100% of his deals are coming from wholesalers and he actually finds them. And then he comes to us with helping with the disposition. Okay. So in that case, you're basically, let me rephrase that for some people who aren't kind of used to this. So what I hear you saying is you're doing, um, you're working with an investor buyer who is usually using wholesalers to find their deals. They're acquiring the deal directly from the wholesaler. You're not typically involved. And then once they get the the fix up done, I don't know if you're helping with GC work or the construction part of it. And then at the end of it, you're helping them sell the property on the MLS for top dollar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes we do help them find the deal, but not all of our clients need us in every single step of the process. Yeah. Some like him specifically, his big strong suit is finding great deals. Okay. What is, what do you think is your limitation right now? Do you think it's more unable to find enough investor clients who are looking to buy or sell? Is it, you you don't have enough deals for the clients you have, or is it like, you know, the financing's making it rough for the buyers you have to actually find deals? Like what is the challenge spot? Or maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's team members. I, I don't know. Like what's, what do you think the the kind of limitation, the the filter, the kind of bottleneck is for you guys? Yeah. So our bottleneck is probably inventory. Like most people, okay. um, inventory would be the biggest thing. The second piece of our bottleneck would be uh, our construction crews. They stay pretty busy. So as we grow or as we get it, if we have one month where all our investors seem like they want to buy and get going on renovations, that can make it finding good people to do good work consistently can be a challenge. Okay. What are you doing to help your guys with funding down there? Are they, are they buying for like their own cash? Are they bringing in hard money lenders? Like what are you doing for financing to help your guys? Little bit of both. We've got some great private money lenders. We have some good recommendations with hard money lenders. A good portion of our clients use their own cash. And then in some cases, we're actually willing to partner with the client and we'll bring in the money. You bring the deal, we'll bring the money, we'll bring the renovation. Let's really partner together and then split the profits on the backside. Okay. So you're doing some types of partnerships as well with some of your clients Mm -hmm. when you're doing that too. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. What is your what is your distinction in your mind between a private money lender and a hard money lender? A private money lender and a hard money lender in my mind is how you know the person. If I know you personally and you're going to give me your money, um, you're a private money lender to me. If I'm going to someone who's advertising or maybe they cold called me about financing, if if they're going to have a whole bunch of stacked up fees on the HUD, they're a hard money lender. 
Okay. No, my, my distinction for myself has always been a hard money lender is in the business of loaning money and a private money lender is not in the business of loaning money. It's like grandma or uncle Joe. And, you know, you're just going to them and asking them to kind of like make a loan on a property you're doing or something like that. Is that pretty much similar to what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, basically, yes. I We have one lender that I would say he's probably in the business of lending money, but he's still someone where we can call him up and we can say, hey, we've got a deal. I just sent you an email with the yeah. numbers and the photos and we can have the money in like seven days. Whereas a hard money lender, I'm ex- still expecting them to run an ARV appraisal. I'm expecting them to be two to th- four weeks out on getting the funds in there. They want to really analyze the deal. Whereas yeah. our private money lenders are more like they trust us. If we say it's a good deal, they're probably going to send the money, especially because we take the time to still send them all the info anyways. Okay. Really cool. So as far as like, so your limitation really is deal flow at this point, it seems like. And, and what are your, are you doing like uh there's some software I just saw recently. I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of doing fix and flips anymore. So the software I saw was kind of interesting, but it's like software there where they try to help you analyze potential fix and flip opportunities. And I've heard they're going nationwide. Do you use software like that to do it? I don't even remember the interesting. name. Interesting. Um, no, what we do is we uh, do our own walks, we do our own scopes, and then we do our own CMAs and ARVs. So we really put our DNA into the deal analysis, okay. especially if a client's working with us and really wants a turnkey relationship. The cool thing is, is if you buy a property from us or with us, and and I say, you know, hey, this property is going to be $100,000, we are looking at a $30,000 rehab, I'm not just shooting from the hip. If you buy that property and I said it's going to take $30,000 to renovate it, it's going to take $30,000 to renovate it. You're not going to have these crazy things where the agent said it should take this, but then you can't find a contractor that'll actually match it. And sometimes I've lost money on renovations, but that was my own fault. And yeah. I still wanted the deal to be really good for the client. And that's really why we do the renovations. The, the renovations are one piece where we will only do them if you're buying the property or selling the property with us, or if you're going to manage it. If you're not engaged in those areas, then we're not going to take you on as a, a client for the renovations. Okay. Interesting. Are you finding you're buying most of the deals in advance or are you t- it's taking purely a brokerage role? for the deals you're having your clients do? Um, a lot of them are brokerage deals. Okay. Some of them, uh, some of them will actually find the deal off market. They'll close on it. Then we'll come in, we'll do the renovation and then we'll get it listed for rent or for sale. Um, we do okay. our own flips as well, but a lot of the time it's more post-closing on the renovations unless they own something. And sometimes home sellers will help the same way is we help them look at their house as an investment. If they if they want a cash offer, we may actually look at it and say, you know, why don't you put your investor hat on here? Why don't you do some of these renovations and us help you get top dollar? If you don't want to do that, I've got an investor for you and he'll happily pay cash for it. But first we want to try and maximize the owner's profits. So are you doing almost like seller partnerships where you are coming in, doing the GC work for a partner, you're putting your own rehab money into the deal and you're taking a piece of the extra profit and having the seller kind of hold on to those as well? 
We have never done it that way okay. with a, a seller before, but what we have done is we've gone in and we've given them their options. So what I always like to do, if you want to sell a house with me, is I'm going to show you what it could sell for on market, tippity top, what it could sell for on market, maybe as is, mm -hmm. and then what I could buy it from you right now for. Okay. And then they kind of make that decision, but we've, we've helped them be like, you know what I want? this top option. I want to get that premium price, but I don't quite have the renovation budget for it. In some cases we've stepped in, we've done the renovation and we've held the cost till closing. Okay. But you haven't taken an extra piece of the profit. You haven't done like a formal partnership agreement where you're, you know, agreeing to do maybe, maybe it's just the way you structured. I don't know how you structure, but maybe you structured as a higher real estate commission. So it doesn't have to be, you know, whatever percentage you're charging down there. Um, it doesn't have to be that in particular. It could be, you know, two times the normal commission in exchange for you guys fronting the money for the rehab, doing the rehab and getting paid at closing out of the rehab. Yeah. So we, we have a concierge commission that we charge. So we get paid more than the average real estate agent when we do that. Okay. Um, but the, the, we're not splitting the profit or doing what some would call a net listing agreement, where as long as you get them this, then the agent can get the overage or a piece of the overage. Okay. Interesting. All right. So, you know, what is a typical, I, I mean, I'm sure it's all over the place, but what is your most like bread and butter sort of transaction look like? Like, what are you buying it for? What's rehab typically run? What are some of the expenses? And and what is a typical one of your clients, investor clients actually seeing in profit? What's a deal down there for them? Yeah. So we've got one right now that I helped a, she had just moved into the area. She's done renovations all over the country before. And she wanted to find something. We found a property from a wholesaler that is a like 1915 farmhouse. We're finishing it up this week. So it'll be hitting the market soon. Um, but we bought that for, I think, $130,000. Okay. We're going to put about hundred dollars to $120,000 into it. And it'll be worth three twenty-five dollars plus. We're going to list it at three twenty-five dollars for a quick sale, but it's like 2,500 square feet knew everything throughout. So we helped her buy it. Then we helped her do all of the renovations, the permits, find all of the work, all of that stuff, project management, and then we're going to list and sell it for her. So there's that one. We have another one that we just purchased from another agent in our area. She reached out to us and asked us if we wanted to make an offer on her client's house rather than him having to list it. That one we're picking up for 80,000. We'll put about $50,000 in it. And we'll list it for 200 to 225. Okay. So are you seeing most of your clients doing not like a percentage, but usually a fixed dollar amount for profit? Like how, how are you thinking about that? Or how are your clients thinking about that in your marketplace? It depends on the client. So whenever we meet with a new investor, the first thing we do is we sit down and we talk about their goals. Okay. We talk about like long-term in real estate first. After that, then we're talking about like, what does a deal look like for you? Mm -hmm. Some people we know if they can clear $10,000 on a deal, they'll buy it. Some really care about those percentages. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm looking at a deal off market, my formula is 70% of the ARV minus the rehab costs. Okay. If it meets that, we'll buy it. We'll find the money. We'll do it. Um, but
but we also try and bring in an investor. So if we can find an investor that will take a little bit less of a margin, sometimes we'll just sell those properties to them as is. It depends on our clients too. I have some clients that are like, you know what, if I can be all in at 12, 120,000, it doesn't matter how much or how little rehab is needed. But if I can be in at 120,000 and it's worth 150 and I can get at least $1,200 in rent, I'll buy it all day, every day. Okay. Those so are looking... actually my favorite deals is the ones that they hold, not the ones that they flip, okay. but finding and making a good renovation on a good rental property is the, the rehabs that we really like to do. So are they primarily trying to do some type of burst strategy where they're getting the majority, if not all of their money out? Some of them, um, the one that I put mentioned particularly, no, they just buy it cash. That's just like, they just like to know that they've got some additional equity in it. And okay. then we do have some clients that they, their goal is, is to keep using the same cash over and over. Okay. Are you finding a lot of deals where the burst strategy works in your marketplace? Oh yeah. Okay. Definitely. Our market's a good one for it. I'm going to switch over this camera. It's not going to be as good, but... Oh, different view. Different view. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, so that's that's super interesting. So it's really deal flow. So are you doing a lot of like direct mail or are you doing pay-per-click or what is working for finding deal flow in your marketplace right now for you guys? Deal flow is all relationships, relationships and circle okay. prospecting. 2021 was a much better year for us when it came to like reaching out and cold calling and talking to people that had their house listed without an agent. We find good deals on the market too. We did probably five last year that were just sitting on the market. Um, okay. Un unseen value by the rest of them, I guess. Um, but we don't do any sort of ads when we're looking for deals. We don't run any sort of ads. Everything is referral based or we, we've got some great investor groups in Facebook yeah. Uh, I mean, you could have someone just sit there all day, eight hours a day and find a deal a day, probably. Okay. By other wholesalers that are buying the leads for you. What's the population of your area that you service, like the that kind of uh, marketplace, like where you are? About 300,000 people. Okay. It's smaller than I would have thought. That's, yeah, well, that's Greensboro. The Metroplex, like the whole triad is much bigger, but Greensboro is where I live about 300,000 in Greensboro. Winston's about the same size. Um, High Point's, if I were to guess half the size, I'd be lying if I said I knew exactly. And you're able to find that many fix and flip opportunities in your marketplace based on those numbers? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So, so it's really about relationships. And then, so I guess a lot of them then are wholesale deals, right? So that's, that's the relationship part of it. Yeah. If we have good relationships with wholesalers, we are the top that they'll reach out to a lot of the times with their deals. Cause they know if we make an offer, we close. Yeah. The same thing with offers direct to seller. If, if we put our name on the contract and you're not lying to us, we're closing. Yeah. Um, even if we're going to wholesale it ourselves, if we can't wholesale it, we close it. So you're going under contract on the property and then you're reaching out to your client list and trying to find and match up the particular buyer that's doing it. Sometimes. Okay. That's a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
if we have a client that can make a deal out of what we've got and we can be happy with just assigning them the contract instead of doing the whole thing. Yeah. Um, we'd love to, there's so many different ways to make money in the real sure. estate space and the more, the merrier. Yeah. So there's a, there's a range of what your investor clients would consider to be like, you know, profitable or a deal worth doing. Can you give me an idea of like some of your stricter, harder to serve type clients, and then some of the like easier clients to kind of fulfill, like uh, as far as like their profit margins and their desire to make profit, like what's, what's crazy hard for you to serve. And then what is like, you know, I could do a ton of deals with these folks, you know, provided they have enough money to do deals. Um, the, I'll answer the second question yeah, first, yeah. cause that one's easier. Okay. Um, someone that's easy to do deals is someone that's pretty liquid. So yeah. our easy to go clients or someone that's got a hundred to $140,000 cash because they can close quickly. They've got the money for renovations, whether they're going to burr out of it later or not. If they've got that, then we can find them deals all over the place. Okay. Um, they don't have to be cash, of course, Yeah, but it makes it a lot easier. There's a lot of less unforeseen like interest rates that get in the way sure. of a good deal being a not as good deal. Um, and cash is becoming more and more king as the interest rates keep going up and up. Um, they just have a lot more flexibility on what actually constitutes a good deal when they're not borrowing the money. And you think that's because they're not paying the interest charges in their deal? That's what makes it what's that's what makes them able to be served easier. Yeah. The okay. cash flow is better on any in on any rental deal that they're buying. So you're saying because they're buying properties to hold long term, this is not a fix and flip client. This is a fix up and and hold on as a rental sort of client. Right. Okay. And so there yeah. are clients that they're buying for cash flow. And those you think are the easier ones to service than the ones that are like, I need to make whatever it is, you know, $30,000 or 20% uh, of the, of the sale price of the property in profit in order to make these numbers work. Mm -hmm. Those are the harder ones to find deals for. Those are the harder. I mean, I'll tell you the real hard ones to find deals for is the ones that don't have any money. Yeah. And they want to like do a hard money loan and make sure that they have no money in the deal. They need to borrow their fix up costs and they need to borrow the purchase price and the holding costs and everything else, right? Yeah. For those, what I tell them is since you don't have any money, your value is finding the deal. You go find me a really good deal and I'll buy it from you and I'll give you a little bit of money. So you're um, training them to be wholesalers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's um, interesting. So yeah, like just find it, a deal. I, my policy has always been, if you find a good deal, the money will find you. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people want agents or whoever to bring them good deals, but they don't have the ability to perform. Yes. They want an um, agent to bring them a deal, but they also don't have any money for yeah. down payments or holding costs or rehab or, or, or purchase. I mean, I think yeah. that's, that's the I'm, hard one to serve. I'm very upfront when someone says that. I'm like, you know what? If I find a deal that good, you'll never know I found it. Yeah. So, so this is a great question then, you know, because I think there's a lot of folks, a lot of real estate agents out there who are like, you know, they're, they're going to hear from their investor clients. Hey, you know, why would I do business with you? Obviously, if you find a great deal, you're going to do it yourself, especially someone who has got the GC crew and able to do, and they're, you're doing your own rehab deals yourself. How do you, how do you address that to your clients that, Hey, look, you know, 
I'm only giving you the deals that I'm not personally doing. How do you, how do you handle that objection? Well, I mean, if you brought me all of the great deals in the area, I wouldn't be able to close them all. So yeah. there's a lot of great deals that come to us that we're just not in a position to close, or it's not as good of a deal for us as it is someone else. Yeah. Um, we don't have the ability to be doing an, inf- it's not like we flip a bajillion home. We do like one or two ourselves uh, a month. Okay. Probably a little bit less than that. Once it's all averaged out, we wholesale a lot of properties. I wouldn't say a large percentage based on our overall transactions, but if we can find a really good deal, we actually take it through a process. So if I find a really good deal, we're going to try and wholesale it first because okay. it's a much quicker way to make the money. Yes. If it's got a really large spread, we've got an idea like what we want to make off of an assignment. And if we can't make that, then we'll just close on it. Okay. Um, if we have a client with the cash, maybe we find a way to work together, but we'll close on it. Then we'll list it as is on the MLS while we're getting our rehab quotes and everything together. Yeah. Maybe another investor that we don't know will find it. If we can't sell it as is on the market, then we'll take it off. We'll renovate it. We'll list it as it is there. One of our key criteria is too that I tell people is it's got to be a good rental no matter what. So if I find an amazing deal, but it couldn't be a good rental, I probably right. won't buy it because I can't do anything with it if the market were to change too much. So you want to have your backup plan is to convert it to a rental should you not be able to sell it. Yeah. For, for you personally, guys doing the flips, right? Not for your clients. Some of your clients are like, look, I'm not holding anything. I'm flipping everything or, you know, I'll do these flips and just make whatever it is, you know, 30,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever the number is for them, right? Yeah. It's just a nice little safety net. Instead yeah. of agreeing to make no money or to lose money, even we just turn it into a rental and then we hold on to the equity until a better time to exit that is. Yeah. So, so I don't know if you're willing to share this. If you aren't, that's totally cool because I totally get it. But are, do you have a number that you want to see on your assignment fees when you're tying up a property from a wholesaler that you're going to buy if you can't find a buyer for it? You send it out to your buyer's list, I assume. And then if you can't, if you, is there a certain dollar amount you need to see on that? And like, what is that dollar amount? Are you willing to share that? Yeah. Um, if I am running my numbers on it, yeah. and I have it under contract, it's it's a good deal. And so I want at least a $10,000 assignment fee on it. Okay. Um, we, it, if I can't get that, then there's a much bigger upside on the, on the flip. And sometimes it, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work or maybe we've got a really good one and it doesn't make sense unless we can get a 20,000. It's not really, the way that we look at it is not, the money that we make on the assignment fee as much okay. as kind of the equation that we do on how much is stead to be made on the backside and how much of that am I willing to leave on the table to just flip it now instead okay. of wait 90 days. Okay. So interesting. So your model is really, Hey, if I took this down myself, I would make whatever it is, $40,000 net after everything is said and done. What am I willing to take today instead of $40,000 in 90 days or 120 days or something like that? That's sort of the way you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. And what is your typical, like, like just rule of thumb for that? Is it like a quarter? Is it like half? Like what's your, what is your number? I'd say a quarter is probably pretty safe yeah. um, because if we're taking anything less than $10,000, that means that there probably was less than 40000 excuse me, less than $40,000 on the table to begin with. Yeah. Um, 
So we pro, I mean, just depending on how big it is or how safe it is, we probably are right around a quarter. Yeah. So I have to be really careful about how I phrase this next question. Cause I don't want to get any of us in trouble. Um, because I, I, I also have a real estate license. I, you have a real estate license as well. And we are in no way colluding as to what real estate commissions are or f- price fixing or anything like that. Um, in your marketplace, what is what kind of range are you seeing on real estate commission percentages? Um, I'm not saying what you're going to do. I'm not saying what I'm going to do. But like, what are you seeing if you, if you pulled the marketplace? What are you seeing for real estate commission percentages out there? Um, it greatly depends on like who it is, I think. Personally, Um, and it, and really the only thing that I see is what buyer's agents are getting paid. Yes, of course. Um, And it's about 3%. Okay. Um, So, so what's interesting, I'm just doing some math in my head here. So like, and I'm sure they range, you know, there's some people doing discount stuff and there's some people charging a lot more, I'm sure. But if you're, if you're talking about a hundred thousand dollar fix and flip property that you might otherwise buy, some of those guys might be, if they were charging a regular real estate commission would be a $3,000 ish commission. On doing that, and well, so we're going to pay the commission too. Yeah, if when you do your wholesale fee, like from the wholesaler, if it's listed in the MLS and the wholesaler is tied it up, and then you're buying it from the wholesaler, you're going to pay the real estate commission to whoever had it listed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in your case, though, for doing a wholesale fee, like you you tie it up, you're ready to do it if if you can't find one of your buyers to buy it, but you're actually making three times as much you know, 10% instead of a, you know, a 3% sort of thing or $10,000, I guess is a better way of saying it. it's not a percentage. Um, if you were going to get a wholesale fee versus a 3% commission on a property, if you were just going to assist them in buying it. Mm-hmm. So there's some, it's it's like worthwhile to do a lot of this extra work to pre-screen the deals, to run your numbers on it, to be sure that you're willing to buy it, to be in touch and have the relationships with the wholesalers to kind of do the research, walk in, you know, estimate everything for your, from your GC perspective and be ready to go. I think that's part of the value add in my mind that you're adding by doing a lot of that extra work. Is that how you're seeing it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good way to put it. And the, the thing that I explain to clients when we really talk about it is it's an access thing. Yeah. Without this conversation that you and I are having right now about this property, yeah, you wouldn't know about it. Right. It's not on the MLS. No other investor is even talking about it right now. And especially when we bring properties, I will bring the property to the investor that I think is the best fit before I do any sort of marketing or anything like that. So we're not trying to drive the price up. Okay. We know what we want for it. We know what it's worth. And what's different too, is we're not locking it up. And if I can't get a fee on it, we're just going to throw it back to the seller. No, we've, we've already got like an exit strategy and all of that stuff. What we're actually doing is we're doing a little bit of extra work that an agent doesn't do. And that's going and that's actually extracting the seller, finding the seller, based on your needs and then bringing them to you on a silver platter. Plus it's off market. There's usually not nearly as crazy as deposits. You're not bidding against other people. So even though we may be making three times more in that analogy that you gave on the transaction, the investor's still probably buying it 10, 15% less than if we would have thrown it up on the MLS for them to compete with the masses. Okay. And so you're and not these doing... are usually things where the seller is a hundred percent. I will not list it. We always try and get the seller to to list it on the market before anything else. Sure. So I so you really are relying on mostly relationships and wholesalers 
in order to find these deals. You're not doing any of your own marketing, even though you have a decent enough margin in there in order to pay for marketing. I mean, you could do postcards or, you know, door-to-door marketing or, you know, whatever you're doing. You could do all these different strategies for finding off-market deals because there is enough space in there to do that, but you're just not willing or able to do that. No, we're just focused more on the relationships and the service. And I'll tell you too, the sellers are entirely different. Those ones that click on your ads on Facebook or you're mailing them, asking them for an offer. They're in an entirely different space than the ones that we may come across or the ones that are referred to us or reach out that are legitimately just looking for a solution. Yeah. Um, And because we're able to come in with that quote unquote, guarantee to close, it's entirely different. Like we're not bidding against anyone. We're not dealing with people that may ghost us the day before closing that is just out clicking on cash offers. Yes. There's a real relationship there between us and the seller or us and the wholesaler or us and the end buyer. And in some cases, all of them at once. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. So do you have iBuyers in your marketplace? Like these uh, very large companies that are coming in and buying properties, like making me an all cash offer. Like, are you seeing those? We do. We have a, we have a couple in our market. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting too. So, so before you said you're going to, you're going to hand select your potential, potential real estate investor, client buyer, who's going to buy the property from you and that Mm -hmm. you are going to them first. And then you're going to give them a certain amount of time. I assume before you're saying, Hey, look, I got to call someone else because we got to move on this one unless, you know, we take it down ourselves. So I'm assuming, and and correct me because there's a lot of assumptions in this, what I'm about to say. Um, I'm assuming that you don't have buyer agency agreements with all these investors in advance. Um, Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Most of the time, if we take the time to sit down and talk with them about their goals, um, we do a non-exclusive buyer agency with clients. The reason being is I want you to get a good deal. I don't care where it comes from. If you get a deal sent to you from another agent and the caveat is you got to use them, go use them. I'll I'll be around. I want to be the agent that you reach out to when you find the deal and you want advice and help. Okay. Um, And then I'll also bring some, some deals. So we do a non-exclusive buyer's agency agreement. And it's non-exclusive on them, meaning that they can terminate anytime and use another agent. You're not due a commission for that. Is it a, is it, I don't know if you have this in your marketplace or not. Is it transaction brokerage or is it buyer agency where you have a fiduciary obligation to your buyer? It depends on the investor and the situation. When we represent a client, though, we have a fiduciary responsibility to the the buyer. If they buy one of the properties that we own, then we sit down. They understand that like this is our property. And the unique thing is, is like I would legitimately buy it if you don't. Right. And that's the conversation we have too. They're like, well, what do you think about the property? Well, I'd buy it. Actually, right. I will if you don't. I, yeah. I'm giving you an opportunity to buy it instead of me. Yeah, there's some confidence in there that you're going to close on it if they don't do it. It's not like it's just you're passing on a deal and saying, hey, what do you think? So yeah. so I want to get back to this. I want to dig into this a little more because when I, I there's a time when I catered to fix and flip investors. It was probably a decade ago uh, before I transitioned to primarily working with buy and hold investors. And back then I had this weird thing that came up for me. And that is when I had buyer agency agreements with more than one fix and flip investor buyer, 
our contract reads and the fiduciary obligations, my understanding of that reads that I am required to pass any deal that comes across that meets the criteria in our buyer's agency agreement to you if we have a written buyer's agency agreement in place. And so I can't pick and choose and go to, you know, investor A versus investor C. So I was, I felt I was required to, if I had a deal and we had something written in place, it wasn't just like, hey, when we find something, you know, then then we'll, you know, we'll do the paperwork and everything like that. Then I felt obligated to do it. How do you feel? Is that like the case in your marketplace? Do you, have you not thought about that before? Like what, what is the thing? To be honest, I've never thought about it from that point. In ours, there's actually a disclosure of conflict in those situations where it states, you know, there may be a, an instance where your agent has multiple buyers interested in the property and you got to yeah. understand that. Um, but for me, it's kind of more of just like a service standpoint is I, I don't want to send it to a bunch of people at once because I want I want. I want you to have the ability to review the deal and to say yes or no. Yes. It's it's not like a favorites or anything like that. It's just more of a, Hey, I know that this guy is going to close and it matches his criteria and let's, let's get it in front of him. If he doesn't like it, maybe there's someone else, but more than likely um, we just turn it into an email and then we send it out to everyone in our database. That's tagged investor. Okay. And you're doing email or you're doing text? You're doing both? What are you doing for notification? We do an email. Okay. Just an email? Yeah. Are you finding yeah. are, are you finding that most people, most of the serious investor buyers are pretty responsive to your email blast? Oh, yeah. Are you doing any other additional emails that dilute the value or is an email coming from you, it's always going to be a deal that they need to act on or are you sending out other things to them? No, so if they're if they're in my database and they're an active client, they're getting market um, drips as far okay. as properties on sale for our from our website that match their criteria. But if they're getting an email from us, it's not like a maybe how you see other wholesalers send it or anything. It's a personal email. It's okay. it's a text email. It's got a Google Drive link. It's very simple because we're just sitting there typing it up. We're not trying to turn it into marketing collateral. Right. So we have a pretty big um response from it when we send it because it's just like a hey man i got a deal here's the deal the details here's the photos here's the comps if you care let me know what you think okay how long have you been doing this for how long have you been doing like the brokerage specifically focused on investors so i got into real estate in 2017 okay and uh, what got me into real estate is i flipped my first property and I did good, but it was really stressful. And I decided I'd rather help people invest than me invest myself for a while. Totally. Um, and so 2018, I would say about half of my business in 2018 was investors. Okay. And then since then, I've been really focused on it. 2019, 2020, we didn't do a ton of investor business. And then 2021, we really turned it up as far as we were losing listings on the brokerage side to people that were knocking on our clients' doors with cash offers in hand. And the clients being like, you know, I know that this was $20,000 less than y'all said y'all could net me, but it was cash and it was guaranteed and I could move in two weeks and I didn't have to do all of that stuff you told me to do to get it ready for market and I don't have to show it. And then we were like, you know, 
one in one particular instance, we were like, man, I wish that we would have known that's how you felt because we would have bought it. This was in a great neighborhood. We like, it would have been an ideal purchase for us, but we didn't make the offer. We didn't ask. So from there, we just started like, Hey, if you don't want to list it, or if you're hesitant, or if you're a for sale by owner, we'll just make you an offer. We, yeah. we could list it. We'd actually prefer you to list it with us because that means that you're going to put the most amount of money in your pocket. Right. But some people prefer convenience. So yes. that's how we started. And then 2021 is when we really, once we started going direct to seller more with these offers, then we started connecting with more investors. I've been a licensed contractor since 2018, but 2021 is where we really started to kind of piece it together and be like, you know, we can even help you with the renovations. If the reno budget or you've never taken on a project is an anxiety or a stressor for you, well, we'll do it. Yeah. And we'll make sure that it turns out right. And we'll make sure that it stays under budget. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. So for someone who's brand new, like they're new agents and they want to kind of replicate what they're doing in their own marketplace. Um, what what do you think is a reasonable number of investor buyers to have on their list? Like what's their kind of first target? And then like when it's a very mature business, how many people like are on your list for a, a broadcast these days in order to get a deal under thing? Like year one, like how many did you grow and, and where'd you find most of those guys from? I guess the next question, but. Man, I didn't, I didn't track it or really start paying attention to how many investors are in our database yeah. until recently. Okay. But I, right now we have 350 roughly people in our database that we have had conversations with that are actively or at one time actively and have not told us that they're not actively looking for investment properties. Yeah. And we even, we'll even tag them down a little bit more. If they're looking exclusively for multifamily, we'll make sure to have them tagged there. So they don't get our two bedroom, one bath yep. um, uh, rental opportunity. Yeah. Um, I would say if, if you're in your first year, you need to get that list to at least a hundred. Okay. So that a hundred people that would buy a good deal if it came up. And one of the ways that we started um, building that list is when we were circle prospecting, you know, we were getting a lot of people. Ah, no, I'm never going to sell. Well, how about buy? If there was a great deal, would you buy it today? And then be, well, if it was a great deal, well, what does a good deal look like to you? And we would just start the investor consultation with some random home seller that happened to me. No, I never sell. I own 30 plus properties. Oh, Awesome. <laughs> What do you buy in the area? We would love for you to be on our list. Yeah. Um, but if you get to a hundred people now, you know, if you find a deal that you legitimately believe in and you send it out, you can probably get yourself a buyer. And when you get to a point where you can identify a deal and you can say confidently, I got a buyer for that. And if I don't know exactly who it is, I know that they're in my database and I will find them this week. That's where the momentum really starts is People get into wholesaling and they go find a, a property, but they don't have that buyer list or they don't know who has the buyer list. Totally. And then they can't close on it. And yeah. that's what gives the wholesale game a bad name. Sometimes they just don't know what they're doing and they'll just give sure. the seller whatever they want and see what they can do. But a lot of the times they just don't know the, the right people. Yeah. And I'm sure you're seeing 80, 20 principle coming into play with that hundred. Like those hundred are not all active by any means. I mean, maybe it's 
20 guys that are mostly active in the 80 are not really doing much of anything at all. And so then you're trying to find the one in the 20 or the two in the 20 that are looking for that sort of deal. Are you seeing those numbers play out for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say for me personally, I have at any given time, three to five names, like it stays a pretty short list of people that I'm consistently talking to that are ready to go. And then as you do that, you pick up one to five clients that will always buy a good deal. Yep. Now you've got yourself a career and now your job is finding them deals and yeah. you don't have to worry about finding all of the other investors. They start finding you because your deal flow starts increasing. Yeah. I, I found the same thing to be true. It's like, you know, you have a couple of guys that they'll just take almost anything as long as it's really a deal. And then you've got a whole bunch of people that, you know, they saw on late night TV that they can make money real estate investing. And, and that's the majority of your list, unfortunately. Um, so she said a hundred, get to a hundred. So for somebody who's brand new, how long do you think it'll take them to get to a hundred? And what would you recommend they do in order to find that first list of a hundred names? Um, there's a few things that you could do. I'd highly recommend you join some sort of real estate investor meetup in your town. I can guarantee if you're live in a city and house flipping occurs in that city, there is some sort of investor meetup there. Okay. We're a part of a nationwide group, Pines and Properties. There's probably like 50 throughout the nation. Great people. But yep. find a group of people that invest. Yep. That's a, and then put everyone that you meet there into your list. Okay. The cool so- thing about investing is, careful how I say this, because I don't mean it the way that I mean, is there's no yeah. loyalty in it. Yes. Meaning that if you if you bring me a good deal, I'll buy it and I'll use you. And me as an agent, I don't mind that either. I actually think if you as an agent bring my client a great deal, then you should earn the commission on it. That's how everyone should think. But start there, join an investor meetup. Then you get to start listening and learning about all of the cool things that other people are doing. You get to learn strategies from them. So there's a, a bonus there. Then the next thing that I would do is I would download a software, something like PropStream or some other thing where you could pull a list of absentee owners. Yep. Most people pull lists of absentee owners for homes to buy, but those people can afford to have a house sitting vacant. More than likely, they're actually a real estate investor. And if you can approach it with the mindset that anyone you talk to, you can serve in one way or another, and you don't get just stuck on turning them into a buyer client or a seller client. You'll always find a way to serve them. Yes. I would do the absentee owner list. And then I would, any person that you meet, just talk to them. The way that we do it is, you know, circle prospecting. What do do you mean by circle prospecting? You used that term several times before, and I'm not familiar with it. All right. So what I mean by circle prospecting is calling around a particular neighborhood. Okay. So if we see a house that's sold in the neighborhood, we'll call that neighborhood if we like it, talk to the neighbors, you know, just let them know that a home sold, let them know what it sells for, see if they'd be interested in a value of their home. Start having a conversation. Do you know a real estate agent? Do you need a real estate agent? Um, Have you ever thought about selling your home? And then usually by there, we'll figure out which fork in the road we're going to go. If they say, yeah, I have. Oh, well, great. We'd love to to help you figure out what your home may be worth. We'd be happy to help you market and sell it, but we'd also be open to giving you a cash offer, non-obligatory, of course. But 
if they're like, no, I'm never going to sell. Well, what about buying? Do you want to buy another house in the neighborhood if you really like it? Right. Okay. Awesome. So, so you've, you're saying the number one ways in your mind are definitely go to the meetups to find other investors that are actively out there looking to buy and network and do all that other stuff. And then also, um, you know, you said the absentee owners I've, I've used and have a variation of that strategy. And that is only look at absentee owners that have bought a property in the last six months. And then, you know, that that is a group of active buyers and then you can actually narrow the properties down to certain neighborhoods where they're doing obviously fix and flip type deals, or, or even go find a list of the hundred fix and flips, match up properties, uh, purchase and sell twice in the last 12 months and find out guys that are flipping properties. If you're really focused on those, and then you have a mailing list of, whatever it is, you know, a hundred people that have flipped properties in the last six months and then use that as your initial list when you have your first wholesale deal, or your second wholesale deal in order to get them calling and build up your list that way. I'm sure yeah. you've used some type of strategy like that too, right? Yeah. And then uh, like from the social media standpoint, because everyone yeah. wants to get business off of social media, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't run ads. I wouldn't focus even on content as much as I would focus on group engagement. If you okay. can per find five to 10 Facebook groups in your area that have to do with homes for sale, off-market deals, real estate investing, yeah. and participate. This That's the important part. Comment, like, post, ask yeah. questions. Like just be open and genuine and curious. And then just drop in there who's looking to buy a house or who who's a cash buyer, DM me, add your email. You would be yeah. amazed how many posts I see on Facebook where people do that. And then you'll have like 85 comments with people dropping their emails. If you want okay. to get to a hundred really quick, that's the easy button. But those relationships where you can actually get belly to belly or face to face with these yeah. investors, that's where you're going to find the real serious um, investors. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. Do you think there's any reason for you to form your own meetup so that you get all the people registering, even if they don't show up to meetings and then adding them to your list that way? Or do you think it's better for let someone else do all that work and you just sort of show up once a week or once a month, whatever the frequency of the meetings are and kind of uh, network that way? Um, it depends on how much you want to bite off. So we run yeah. our own. Our, our okay. finds and properties meetup is run by our team. Um, okay. And, and I have a buddy that runs it with me that's not on our team. Yeah. So we kind of run it in tandem, but it it's still like it is lead generation, but we don't treat it as that. We just treat it as a safe space for real estate investors to get yes. together and not get sold on stuff. Yes. Um, and then out of the list, but it's really the community. Like I have that list, but I don't use that list to market properties per se. I I talk to people. I, I want to send the deals to the people that are out there buying or really serious about buying. And then I want to help the people that are aspirational get to a point where they can be those experienced ones. 100%. So that's what's really magical about these meetups is you get these inspirational investors and you get these aspirational investors and they both want to help each other. Yeah. So for you, so you guys run your own meetup. Are you doing mostly like uh grab a beer and network? Or are you doing like classes? What are you doing for your, your meetups, the actual meetups themselves? So we have a local brewery that lets us host. We do it every last Wednesday of the month. We so get together at yep 6 p.m. 
every last Wednesday of the month we get together. It's called Pints and Properties, so we can't have the meetup without some pints. Okay. Um, oh, so oh, I, I get it. Pints and Properties. I, pints I didn't realize that. And got properties. it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, so we get together, we hang out for a little bit. We always have some sort of guest speaker to bring some value, bring some um, education. Like yeah. this month, we're talking about creative financing. Last year, I ran a, I ran it and I talked about lead generating for investment properties. Yes. But we do about 30 minutes of that. And then after that, it's just hanging out, networking, okay. um, shooting the shit. So um, if you're willing to share, like, do you know approximately how many people are on your meetup? Like the number of members like that they have, not that, that all of them come to that. So I'll ask you that in a second. Like how many are on there approximately? So we have about 530 people in our Facebook group that are all here locally. So are you, doing, that, are you doing Facebook or are you doing literally meetup.com? We run a, we run a Facebook group as a community, okay. but then we run a we don't use meetup.com. We just put it on Eventbrite and Facebook events, but we run a physical event and there we have on the low end, about 40 people. We've had as many as about 75 attend. Our goal is to get to an average of about a hundred attendees a month. Okay. So, um, that's super interesting. So I never did the Facebook one. I only did the meetup for our one, the actual meetup.com one to do that. And we have, I mean, we fill the room. Our room was about 30 people or so. It depends on the meeting, honestly, the content. And we did weekly instead of monthly. Okay. So, so that was, that was an interesting thing. Yeah. So you're doing, you're basically doing, you're running your group from Facebook and growing it that way. Are you seeing organically people join the Facebook group? Are they finding it like through, I guess, organic ways to find things on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. So is that a, is that a good effective way to do it? Yeah. I think a lot of the people that join from Facebook are yeah. um, people that know other members. Like we don't do really any pushing or advertising of it, but I have started here recently, like making an event bright event yeah. for each meetup and really yes. pushing that out. I've even run an ad on the event um, to start. And I've noticed over the two months, like we've had a ton of brand new faces that I've never okay. met that, ne that no one in the group knows. And that's really cool. So like and Eventbrite's you, been really big and that links to our Facebook group. And you think the specific source of the new people is the ads you're running on Eventbrite. Mm -hmm. Do you know approximately how much you're spending on Eventbrite? Like the ad part? Eventbrite's I free, spend right? I spend about 50 bucks a month. $50 um, a month? Okay. Well, $50 a month for Eventbrite because they have like a per, a subscription that you got to pay. And then I spend 25 to 50 bucks on the ad itself. I run it the week before. Okay. Interesting. So I never did anything with like running ads on Eventbrite. Like if you had to just guess, and I realize you probably aren't tracking this, like what do you think your cost to get a new person to come to a meeting is now that you're running some ads to Eventbrite? I mean... Maybe two dollars and fifty cents, five bucks. So, and are you including the fifty dollar monthly fee, or are you just doing the fifty dollars? I'm just thinking the ad spend. So you're seeing, you're you're really thinking you're getting like 10, 10 new people to a meeting from the ad spend. Yeah, we had about that last month. Wow, that's actually really really good. That's super impressive if you're able to do that. Um, wow, that's really great that you're able to, and so like, what do you think you're, you just got numbers on this. It's hard to track. This is hard for me to track for 10 new people that come to a meeting. 
what do you think you'll end up seeing in number of transactions over the course of the next year from that, if any? Do, do you think it's like, you know, one out of 100? Do you think it's one out of 10? That's a good question. I yeah. don't really know. Um, yeah. The people that I've actually met through this investor meetup, mm-hmm. um, the biggest win that I can have is you actually join my team. Join your team as like a real estate agent? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're using it to recruit for your team. This is a whole separate kind of like side business profit margin for you, right? Because you're you're like, hey, look, you're an agent. You want to do investor stuff? Come join my team as an agent. You could work on our team. And I'm assuming you get some type of override from uh, from the commissions earned by your team, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're in real estate as a real estate agent and yeah. you don't have investing in real estate on your roadmap, you're missing your entire retirement. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, that's where I like, those are the relationships that I'm really looking for is not yeah. transactional, but partnership. Absolutely. Long-term relationships. And yeah. then it's something too, like, as we meet investors through our team, if they're, uh, if they're in the beginning stages, you know, those investors that just don't have, don't have the cash to compete in the market yep. or whatever, the easy thing for us to give them consistent, legitimate value is bring them, bring your clients to the event. We encourage other agents, bring yes. your clients to these events. The We don't want anybody like trying to sell themselves or anything at these. So it's a safe space. If you yes. bring a client, I'm not going to be trying to turn everyone that walks through that door into into my client. I, yeah. I really, I really believe in just providing value and they'll find you in those yeah. types of person to person networking things. Yeah. That's super interesting. Hey, let me ask you one other question. It's something I think about a lot because I, I, we, we have some people that come and they're, you know, relatively new and they, they want to do wholesaling because they don't have any money to invest. And that's how they think they're going to get involved. How do you look at wholesaling versus encouraging someone to get a real estate license instead of wholesaling? Like, how do you feel about that? Um, I feel very strongly about. Okay, it. <laughs> this is what I'm glad I'm asking. So tell me what. Tell me if you. Um, so I'll start it. I'm a wholesaler, so I'm not against wholesaling. But I actually yes. had someone approach me um, a month or two ago and reach out on Facebook. I didn't know the person, and they wanted me to mentor them on wholesaling. So we yep. set up a meeting and we got together. And the first question I had was, "Why wholesaling?" And she was like, well, it's like selling real estate, but without a license. I was like, that's the problem. (laughs) Um, If that's why you want to wholesale, then I won't help mentor you. But if you go out and you get your real estate license, then uh, you can become a part of our team and and I'll help you along the way. I don't think that all wholesalers should have licenses because I know some really good wholesalers that aren't licensed for the sake of kind of keeping that distance. Yeah. But I think if the reason you want a wholesale property is so that you can earn commission without a license, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. If you don't have the ability to close on a deal, you have no business signing and committing to close on that deal. I think that yeah. that's fraud. Yeah. And the other the other interesting thing I, I think about sometimes is when you are a real estate agent or a real estate broker and you are brokering a deal, you don't have to be able to close on that deal because the the paperwork is that you are not intending to close on the deal. You're intending to help them find the buyer um, that they need in order to sell their property. Or if you're representing the buying side as an investor, you can help them find the seller who's uh, where that deal matters. And so you don't have to be you know, in the middle to kind of get your fee. You can kind of do that and learn the yeah. rules and like all the stuff that you should be doing. 
Yeah. And if you join our team and you want to wholesale, well, the cool thing is you can look for those opportunities. And if you find a good one, well, great, let's wholesale it together. Because if we can't find the buyer, I'll close on it. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about lying to the seller. Yeah. And I'm assuming your team, it's it's like a shared list of your investor buyer clients that if if you find if one of your team members finds a deal and they don't have their immediate immediate list of clients to do it, they can send it out to your your whole bigger list, right? Yeah. Our, yeah. our team works really well together. We truly operate like a team. We're a family. So like my clients are their clients. If they can bring a deal to my client, then they yeah. can close it and they can get the commission. I'm, I'm really easy going with that. I truly yeah. just want to help people buy and sell real estate. What's the size of your brokerage team? Like how many? So we have, we have, we have seven agents, not including myself and then okay. two operations staff. Okay. Are they like transaction coordinators that are handling transactions for everybody or is it something else? I have some one that is an executive assistant for me that helps me with all of the things that I do. And then one that's our office and operations manager for our team that she does helps with the agent training and onboarding. Okay. She helps with our transaction management, our listing management. Okay. Um, she does our transaction management whenever we buy our own properties as well. Okay. Interesting. So you're really utilizing them in multiple roles across multiple companies when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. What is it, what's it cost to get a real estate license in your marketplace? You know, it's about just 400 price. to $450 for your pre-licensing course. Okay. Um, throw in another 50 to a hundred bucks for your application to the real estate commission and the ability to take the, your final exam and stuff. And then you've got about a, Five hundred to a thousand dollars for all of the association, the brokerage fees to affiliate, and everything like that. I I tell someone if they if they want to get into to real estate, well, yeah. you need five hundred dollars to start. Start with the class, but when you graduate and you have your license, you need to have probably about fifteen hundred dollars set aside to get affiliated and and all of that good stuff. Okay, so about two k, everything said and done, all in with classes and getting set up for, for yeah. stuff. Um, if someone just asked me like, what should I have? $2,500 plus whatever living expenses that you need if you're going to go full-time. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Awesome, man. Well, Hey, I, I don't want to take up all your day. I know we blocked out an hour for this, but I, I, I found it super interesting talking to you about what you got going on there. And it sounds like you got a really good system and um, I'm sure a lot of other people are going to be super excited to hear about that. Is there anything I can do to help or anything, you know, people can do to help you if they want to give back to you sharing your knowledge, like what can they do to assist you or what can I do to assist you? Well, I'd love if you followed me, my Instagram is at learn, focus, grow. Okay. And if, if you have any sort of real estate investment needs, the triad area of North Carolina is one of the best markets in the nation to invest in. Um, we work with a lot of out of state, even some out of country investors. So we've got a great process for distance investors. We'd love to meet with you about your goals and see how we may be able to help you invest. Okay. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, people can reach out to you and you want me to put your, uh, your email address and your, your website in there as well. Sure. Okay, cool. I'll go ahead and do that that in the show notes. That way people can find you on there. So yeah, thanks again. I appreciate Landon. And uh, anything I can do for you, reach out to me. But thanks again for coming on. We do appreciate it. And uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, bye.